Who are you in the crowd? Palm Sunday, what a glorious day, a day to recount the past, revel in the present, and reveal the future. It's the day that Jesus began his journey into Jerusalem. It's the beginning of Passion Week, a week when Jesus delivers his final messages to his disciples, faces his accusers for the final time, and surrenders his blood and his very life for our salvation and eternal redemption. Definitely a week of great passion. But like any grand story, we'll want to look at the many people who played a part in this event. It begins in Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, the site where Jesus raised their brother Lazarus from the dead, a foreshadowing of his own resurrection in just a short period of time. But first, so much has to happen before he breaks the bonds of the tomb. In preparation, Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead to find the donkey he preordained to carry him into the city. These two disciples, who are unnamed in all four gospel accounts, obeyed immediately. They didn't question the instruction. They didn't dawdle along the way. They didn't wonder why they'd been selected for the task and grumble at the inconvenience. They simply obeyed. They showed their love for Jesus by following his instructions. And what were his instructions? Go into the village over there. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Why did Jesus choose to ride a young donkey, a colt? In the Bible, donkeys are symbols of service, suffering, peace, and humility. And in the case of Balaam's donkey, is the voice of warning from the Lord, the Balaam's going the wrong way. Moreover, leaders in ancient times rode horses if they were heading out to battle. But kings rode into a city on donkeys to illustrate the peace they were bringing to the people. King Solomon rode a donkey when he was crowned the new king of Israel. Yet in the case of David, the donkey represented suffering as David rode a donkey when escaping his treacherous son, Absalom. Isaac also rode a donkey when his father took him to the mountains to offer him as a sacrifice to the Lord. Still, we see the triumphant representation of the donkey when Judah, the tribe from whom Jesus descends, and the tribe from which the scepter will not depart, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, is described as having a colt with him as he washes his clothes in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. Furthermore, the colt was chosen to fulfill the prophecy of the coming king. The prophet Zechariah foretold this when he proclaimed in 480 BC, 500 years earlier, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Even then, this was recognized as a prediction of the coming Messiah who would rescue the people of Israel from their oppression and sin. In the choice of a colt, Jesus shows us that even the lowliest, the littlest, can serve him well. We see this particularly when Jesus tells the disciples to say, should anyone ask why they're taking the colt, the Lord needs it. No matter our size, age, or prominence, Jesus calls each of us and says, I need you today. And what about the owners of the donkey? 
Yes, they questioned why their colt was being taken. But once they heard the Lord needs it, they asked no further questions, but surrendered their colt to strangers. It's possible they could have remembered the disciples, but probably not. But they certainly knew Jesus. After all, this was the village where Lazarus was raised from the dead. These people may have even witnessed the event, thus hearing that the Lord needs something. They were more than eager to surrender it to him. What about us? Are we just as eager to give to the Lord what he asks of us? In the parable of the ten servants, the king gifts them with ten pounds of silver, telling them to invest this for me while I'm gone. Two of them faithfully did so and reaped appropriate benefits, but one, doubting the king's beneficence, hid the money and failed to earn any return. The king, in response to his servant's efforts, rewards the faithful with even more, saying, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. Will we then choose to be generous with the things that God has given us? What about the crowd? When they spotted Jesus riding on a donkey and heading into Jerusalem, they immediately knew the significance of this event. They'd heard his teaching. They'd seen his miracles. Even death couldn't overwhelm him. Zachariah's prophecy of their Messiah coming at last was occurring before their eyes, and their lips shouted the praise that overwhelmed their hearts. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. In their exuberance, the psalms sprang from their mouths. They were reciting the Messianic prophecy of Psalm 118.26. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Perhaps they didn't remember the next verse, the verse which foretold the suffering and crucifixion of the Christ. The Lord is God, shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. But the words were there, ready and waiting to be fulfilled in a few days' time. And why did the crowd throw down their coats and tear off their palm branches and lay them at Jesus' feet? Just as their shouts of praise honored Jesus as king, even so throwing their coats before him signified this royal proclamation. Uh, Israel's King Jehu received the same honor when he was crowned king. In the same way, palm branches were often used to reverence a king, and so important were they that they were carved on coins and buildings. King Solomon had palm branches carved on the walls and doors of the temple. Palm branches represented joy and victory, and during the Feast of Shelters, worshipers were to gather palms and celebrate the joy before the Lord who was coming, and for seven days they did this. Further, the book of Revelation tells us that all believers will be raising their palm branches in praise to our Savior, Jesus. After this, I saw a vast crowd, it says in Revelation 7, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with great joy, salvation from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Are we ready for such a day? 
the final members of the crowd are the Pharisees. They recognize the symbolism of the cult, the palm branches, the shouts of the crowd. They recognize the prophetic words that foretold the Christ. They knew the people recognized Jesus as the king coming into the city, and not just any king, but the Messiah himself. The Pharisees also knew about Lazarus, that the life giver had beaten death and called Lazarus forth from the grave. Still, they had the audacity to say to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. It's as if they were saying, tell everyone to stop calling you the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus' response, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Jesus knew the creation he'd made. He'd guided the psalmist hands who wrote, praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the oath and ocean depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and hills, fruit trees and all cedars, all creation praises the Lord. Or Psalm 66, 4, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Looking around at the crowd, cowed once again by their exuberance and excitement, the Pharisees worried. There's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. But they bided their time, waited for their moment to strike. And in a week's time, they thought they'd silence the Messiah at last. Nails pounded into his hands and feet, slung up on a cross, upon wood that he himself had created. But thanks be to God, death couldn't hold him. His love for us was greater, the life coursing through him more powerful, his blood too rich with the potency of eternity, forgiveness, and redemption. Sunday was coming, and nothing could stop his power. We conclude with the crowd. Matthew 21.10 says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What will you say at his triumphant coming? What will you shout when he comes upon the clouds of heaven? For beloved, he is coming. As he declares in Revelations 22, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. Look, he says again, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. His final words in the book, yes, I'm coming soon. May we then eagerly respond, amen, come Lord Jesus. And so today may we greet our King with the same excited words of praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Amen, beloved. Amen.